Okay. So, so um, we're going to go ahead and mute everybody for now. But if you have a question or a comment, because um, I had questions to ask tonight that I was really looking for some participation in. Um, in fact, maybe we'll just leave it. And if people have, as long as you're, as long as everybody just tries to be, you know, quiet on your end, unless you need to ask a question or make a comment, um, we'll just leave it unmuted as necessary. Or you can mute yourself. Or you can mute yourself and unmute yourself um, if you have a comment or question here, uh, or answer, want to answer one of our questions. So let's have a word of prayer, and we will uh, we will get into our study here. Our Father, we're thankful for the evening. As always, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the plans that you have for us for the future. And as we look at your word tonight, uh, we ask that you might help us to be uh, encouraged and uh, even more expectant of uh, what you have planned. That it would be something that would uh, every day uh, encourage us to be looking ahead and to face each day with that great anticipation so that it might affect our daily lives. And we would thank you for this then. Amen. So in 2 Thessalonians tonight in chapter 1, <clears throat> we uh, were looking at last week uh, the uh, unsaved people in verse 9 being separated away from the glory of his strength. And then in verse 10, it, it says, whenever, so it's giving us a timeline that is whenever, um, okay, just excuse me a second. This would be easier for me to do than for Peggy. Oh. <laughs> the minute I get talking, and it bugs me. Sorry about that. Um, verse ten then gives us gives us a, a time frame for for uh, when when this is going to happen, when these people are going to be separated away, and it says whenever he comes to be glorified in or I'm going to take this in a in what we would call. Uh, in an instrumental sense, by means of his saints or by his saints, and to be marveled at, I would say, by all the ones having believed. Because our testimony was believed over you. We're going to, um, we're going to uh, talk about that uh, before we're done tonight, what it means to be our testimony is believed over you. It's not the way it's translated in any of your English Bibles in that day in that day being uh, when this happens. So first of all, when he comes here in verse 10, he's talking about a time in the future. He says, when he is glorified by his saints. Um, without spending a lot of time talking about glory, if you remember, the, the noun glory has to do with an opinion or a reputation. So uh, the verb to glorify and it has an ending on it that, that indicates causation, so to cause glory. So you're, you're doing something that's expressing an individual's reputation or expressing an opinion about this individual. And I believe what's happening here is we're expressing something about, um, about Christ's reputation. And uh, we're the saints, I believe, in this case. There are places where the term saint refers to other people. It is not, saint is not a blanket term that only describes uh, New Testament believers. In fact, there are some places where probably saint or holy ones is, a, is just, would be the idea. 
um, also can refer to angels. In fact, we know that there's a passage that refers to the angels as being his holy angels. So with that, when we're talking about him being glorified by his saints, we're going to go back to some verses we've visited many times because they're very good on this, and it's Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> when you get to Romans chapter 8, he is uh, looking at, at uh, it's going to tie in our future in this matter, and he says in verse 17, And if, or since it is true that we are children, then we're also heirs. On one hand, this is, uh, for my Greek students, this is a mende construction. On the one hand, we're heirs of God, because he's the one we're inheriting something from. But on the other hand, we're joint heirs with reference to Christ. That is, we're sharing an inheritance with Christ. Uh, when you're talking about Christ, we're talking about his humanity. We're laying emphasis on his human nature. Uh, Christ is not exclusive of his human nature, but that is in this context what he's getting at here. Uh, and then he goes, since indeed, and we've talked about this before, we talked about this on Sunday mornings back a, a few months ago, but we also have looked at it um, in, in these studies in Thessalonians, that that is a, that this word expects it to be. It's not an if and it might be or if and it might not be. And uh, there's several places. Uh, the word doesn't occur that many times. I'm going to say just off the top of my head, I think 10 times. Uh, if I remember, and several of them are right in the book of Romans, and it's they're always assuming that this is true. In fact, there's several of the places, if you read those, you'd look at your English translation, and you wouldn't even know that this word occurs, because your English Bible's translated uh, with the idea that this kind of something, some idea of the effect since, uh, they may not use that word, but since indeed we suffer with him. Now, I want to take something um, that uh, Josh uh, Fanning talked about Sunday morning uh, in his class. He was going; he's been going over the fruit in the adult class. He's been going over the fruit from the spirit um, for the last three weeks, maybe four weeks, where he essentially said uh, one of his goals in this new year is he would like to manifest or exhibit or use the fruit from the spirit more com more often in his life, more consistently. I hope that that's all of our goal. And so he's been going over the fruit from the Spirit. And he talked in some passages this last week about suffering. And there are a lot of Christians that would probably respond when we talk about suffering going, well, I've never really suffered for the cause of Christ. Um, and they, they would say, I, I can't remember a time or the last time that I actually, you know, shared the gospel with somebody or talked to somebody in some way about God and actually suffered for that in some way, whether it, and for probably most of it, that, that suffering is going to be like verbal ridicule. Uh, but Josh pointed out that that suffering doesn't necessarily indicate, because it's talking in the context here about functioning as a son and functioning, um, just a second, I have to fix something here. Oops. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't cut out on you. Okay, I think, hopefully you're all still there. Okay. I made the mistake of not connecting to the internet here at the house. I was still connected to the internet at the church, and that, oh, this distance, it's not always reliable, and it was having problems. Okay, anyway, back to the main point. We're talking about 
functioning as a son and functioning as a child, which are two different relationships to God. And that's not the main point here. But when we function as a son or function as a child, one of the things that we can do is manifest or exhibit the fruit from the Spirit. We, we, it should be. It should be characteristic of what it means to be a child or a, or a son. And if you're exhibiting that character, sometimes you, you can suffer for that character without actually opening your mouth and uttering the name Jesus or communicating the gospel. Uh, you may simply be doing what is absolutely the right thing with absolutely the right attitude, and you may catch ridicule from that. And uh, I, if I remember correctly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Josh's illustration from Sunday because I really liked it. He was working uh, at uh, a grocery store, and when things, there was a real busy time, and then there was a, a time when everything slowed down. And he said when things slowed down, that he would go in the back, and he would pull out a pallet of stuff and start um, stocking. Because, you know, he, that, that's, he just, you use your time wisely. And the other guys were like, wait a second, that's not what you do. That's not your job. And he says, but I don't have anything else to do. And they were like, you just walk up and down the aisles. All you have to do is walk. And Josh was just like, but that's not right. You know, you should be working. You should be doing something. And he was being conscientious as a worker. He's thinking, I'm serving. I'm not just serving my employer, but even more so, I'm serving God. And God doesn't want me just to walk around and sit on my hands. He wants me to be conscientious about what I'm doing. And as a result, he caught flat from other workers that didn't want him doing that. And I remember Stan Nelson many years ago telling me the same thing happened with him when he was working at Hanford, that he'd have other workers. He's trying to be conscientious and he's trying to just do a good job. And there's other workers that are constantly on his case telling him, slow down, you're gonna make the rest of us look bad, which was not his goal. His goal was simply just to do the job he was given. And, but the other workers didn't like that. Okay. And, uh, and I, I had that happen a couple of times in, in my life. So just to put this in perspective that some of us might come here and we might say, since indeed we suffer. And some of us might say, well, I don't know that I really have suffered, but there is a good chance that maybe some of us have suffered and we didn't realize we were suffering, not for necessarily what we said, in terms of communicating the gospel or something, but perhaps for the character that we're exhibiting. And that character, and I'm not going to go there, but you can go over and read in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to say put in at verse 12 and read down. And I, it may not be verse 12. This is off the top of my head. But Paul says over there that we, by the way we live our lives, we should be living as light, and light actually makes things visible. It actually reproves things. So if you just live out this life that you have as a Christian, it is going to show other, peop other people's lack of character. It's going to make that visible. It's going to come to light simply by the way you live. All of that now to bring back here that says, since indeed we suffer, okay, so we're suffering with him. Yeah. He says, yeah, I don't know how that, I should He says, me, he says, we may also then, we may be glorified with him. You see that? So we're going to be jointly glorified with Christ because we've suffered with him, because we have exhibited character. In fact, keeping your finger here, <clears throat> excuse me, and turn over to John chapter 15. 
this just occurs to me here, and I think this would be, um, that's Acts 15, John 15. This would uh, be uh, a good example. Uh, go to John 15, and look at verse 22, first of all. He says, if I did not come and speak to them, then they would not have sin. But now they do not even have a cloak or a covering or an excuse with regard to their sin. But notice in verse 24, because this is what we're getting at. And if I did not do the works among them, which nobody else did, then they would not have sinned. But now they have seen it. Now, they would have had sin, but they wouldn't have recognized that they had sinned. They recognized their sin. They recognized their shortcoming by its contrast to Christ's character, to the way he lived, to the things that he said. And so when they spoke, if you remember, like at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it said that the people were amazed because Jesus spoke with authority, not like their leaders. So I always always kind of wonder what 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 how the Pharisees spoke. I don't want to digress on this too much, I but I always wonder how the Pharisees and Sadducees, how all their leaders taught, uh, if they. Uh, if Jesus had an authority and they did not, and the people could really see the difference. <clears throat> now, here's, here's, here's a case in point that I just came across. I had to go back and look this up to find this because one of my friends was talking about this. Um, all these Jewish rabbis had spent a tremendous time, when they were in, in Babylon, they began uh, writing what, what has come to be known as the Talmud, which is a collection of their interpretations and writings about the Bible. <coughs> and Many Jews will spend their time reading these commentaries, all this stuff about the Bible, kind of like what we're talking about on Sunday. Read the Bible. Don't read the commentaries about the Bible. Don't read all the books about the Bible. Read the Bible itself. But they don't do that. In fact, we used to take the Friends of Israel gospel or their, their magazine. I, I, my subscription expired a year or two ago, and I haven't resubscribed. But... It was one of the things that they, there was a, a Jewish man from over there used to write an article, and he said all the time that the thing that he was always trying to point out is this is what the Bible say. And those guys always wanted to argue what all the rabbis said about it. But he was like, but this is what the book says. And uh, there was always a contrast between that. So come back to these rabbis writing in the Talmud. One of the things that God prescribed for Israel was the Feast of Booths to commemorate or help them remember or celebrate the time that they lived in tents in the wilderness. And they were to leave their houses, they were to go out into the streets or outside of their houses, and they were to take branches and, and, and boughs, and they were supposed to put this together, and they were to create temporary structures that they were to live in for this, for this week, this, out, this outdoor week. They still do this, in, uh, from what I understand, in Orthodox uh, sections of Judaism, uh, in even in New York City. I, I don't know if they still do it, but I, I've heard they used to shut down whole streets in that city for where all these the Jewish populations were, were very predominant, and they would actually fill the streets with these temporary booths that they built. Well, in the Talmud, instead of just talking about, hey, we sh you should be doing this, the rabbis got into a debate about how big the hole that would allow the, the smoke from the fires inside, how large that hole in the sea, in the roof of these tents should be, or these booths should be. Should be this big, should be this big, should it be this big. If it's this big, then it's not fully a, a proper covering, and if it's this too small, then it, and, and they go on and they just, they spill volumes or tons of ink in volumes of paper writing on this topic. 
And I think that this is the very kind of thing that Jesus is indicating here in John 15. He came along and he spoke things and people were like, wow, he just, he write, he just gets to it. He gets to the word and he teaches us the word. He's teaching us what it says. Whereas these guys are spending all their time debating, should it be this or should it be this or should it be that? And they listened to Jesus and they walked away knowing, well, this is exactly what God wants of us. When you get done with the Sermon on the Mount, there's not a question as to what God wanted of those Jews. But the same thing was true in verse 24 of John 15 with the way he lived his life. That Jesus lived his life in such a way that his works demonstrated the contrast to the people. One of the thing, one of the words that's used of Jesus in terms of his the way he was towards people was the word compassion. It was a word that had to do with your your gut feeling, this intense feeling that you'd feel in your gut. And, and Jesus had that for people. He had compassion for people. And uh, I think one of the things you find out is you couldn't necessarily say that about a lot of the other leaders. In fact, one of the things that Jesus accused the leaders of, he says, you, and, and what they were doing, they'd eat up widows' houses. They would just nickel and dime those widows to death in all the things that they do trying to protect the widows. But they were charging them for it. See? So this is a good example of how both what you say as well as what you do both of those can bring hatred from other people. It did for Jesus Christ. And in fact, if you kept reading in here, he's going to say the same thing's going to be true of us. He says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you, and they're going to hate you for the same reasons. So if we go back over there to John or Romans 8, excuse me, in verse 17, Romans 8 and verse 17, since we suffer with him, we will also be jointly glorified with him. So he says, we are going to share in his glory. Now, we're not going to share in his divine glory. That is something that is uniquely his. In fact, the scriptures say, uh, I should have looked that verse up for tonight because it just pops into my head, but this Old Testament scripture says, God does not give his glory to another. God does not give his glory to another. So, when you go to John 17, which we will in a little bit, when you go over to John 17, and Jesus says, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world, that is another indication that the Son was God, or is God. I should never say was, is God, because he had this glory with the Father. God does not give that glory to another. But the glory that the Son has in his human nature, he shares with us. Now let's go on down here. Let's keep reading. That's verse 17. Verse 18 says, For I logically consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy compared with the glory that is about to be revealed because of us. For the eager expectation of the creation is eagerly awaiting the unveiling of the sons of God. Now we are sons of God. In fact, he just said up above, in verse 14, as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Over in Galatians chapter 3, I believe it's verse 25, he says, in Christ, we are sons of God. So we are, and there's other passages too, so we're sons of God. But it's not always evident that we're sons of God. Because sometimes you're going to interact with me. And you're going to find somebody that's wringing his hands and worrying about something and wondering, how is this going to work out? How am I going to do this? And I don't know what's going to happen here. Ah, is that what a son of God does? Son of God goes, I'm God's son. He's got this. What am I worrying about? God's got this. So I don't always live like a son of God. 
And sometimes I get really ticked off and I get really short with people and I lose my temper and I give and give them what for. Uh, is that what a son of God does? Does God just blow his top at anybody and just blow up and just give them what for anytime a person gets out of line or does something that's annoying? Just annoying sometimes. No. So I am a son in Christ all the time. I live as a son of God, according to um, verse 14, when I'm following the Spirit's lead. But I'm going to, you will also as a believer, be unveiled as a son of God in the future. And that unveiling of that as a son of God is something that creation is waiting for. Now, why? Verse 20. For the creation has been subject to vanity, not willingly. In other words, creation didn't say, hey, we'd like to be, we'd like to not work quite right. We'd like to be messed up. No, not willingly because of the one that subjected it in hope. Because even the creation itself will be freed from the slavery of corruption. And that word corruption means decay. This creation is breaking down. And it will do that because of the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that even creation, it groans in childbirth pains right up until now. So, He's looking at a time where we're unveiled as God's sons, and one of the things that happens at the same moment is that creation is released from its from the curse, the curse that came upon it back in Genesis 3. Remember, when Adam sinned, it not only caused him to die, but one of the curses on Adam was that he says that you now are going to eat by the sweat of your brow, that the earth is going to bring forth thorns, and thistles. This creation doesn't work the way it originally was designed by God. That's part of the curse. But when we are revealed, unveiled as God's sons, when that happens, he says that he, or excuse me, that creation will be at that moment freed. This is something that we can anticipate. Now, this is not the rapture. Now, let me, I'm going to share, I'm going to share my screen. So I hope, hope you can see this. I don't know if you can, but, uh, okay. So hopefully you can see this. Uh, I just thought this might be a, a quick, easy timeline to see. This is not one I've done. Um, I was looking for mine and I couldn't find it. Um, so this is, this is the time of Christ. Hopefully, can, can you guys see my cursor dancing around there? I don't know. But over on the left side of the screen, that's the first coming of Christ. There's Christ and the cross. There is obviously the time that he dies. And then they have church age. I would call it the dispensation of grace. Then this line here is indicating when this time with the church is done. And this hook here with an arrow is referring to the time that Christ comes back, comes in the air. We looked at that back in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. Uh, he comes in the air. We're caught up to him. It says very plainly, we're caught up to him there to meet him. Uh, and so this is what we call the rapture. Then as we were have looked at, then there were the seven years of what are we call the tribulation. It shouldn't be great tribulation. Great tribulation is only the last half of this. So they're yeah. wrong in that regard. Uh, yeah. And then this, this is the event we're looking at. When Christ comes back to reign as king, and to conquer the nations. This is Revelation 19. And when he comes back, we come with him. 
but they're not, but the world and the creation is not going to see us as we are now. They're going to see us sharing his glory. They're going to see us returning with him at this point. And we are at that moment, to put this in pers other in perspective, we at that moment, we are his bride. Now we have been his bride, but now he's bringing his bride out to show or put his bride on display to the world with him. So he's coming back. He's the one that's getting the glory, but he's showing us in terms of the fact that he and his glory, he has shared some of that with us, which is, uh, talk about. We're, we're yeah. going to go to be with him then. We go to be with him here at the rapture, over at the rapture. It's when he comes at the second coming, that's when we're coming back with him. Right. Okay, that's when we're coming back with him. We have been with him all the time in between. We are with him, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. And, so, and in this way, we will always be with, closely with, the Lord. And so... All through this period of time, in between here, we're always with him. In fact, we're always going to be with him from this moment. So that's why when he comes back, guess what? We're going to come back with him. And it's really about him, not about us. But Paul is saying here in Romans 8, when we're unveiled, when he unveils us to the world and shows us to the world here in Romans 8, the creation is going to be free. So that when you go into what we call the millennial reign or these thousand years, the first thousand years of his kingdom, his kingdom is without end. Uh, Daniel tells us that. Luke, uh, um, Zacharias tells us that over in the book of Luke. But his kingdom is without end. And all during this time, we continue to be with him always, closely, closely with him. Let's, so let's uh, stop that. Let's come back over here. Let's go to... Um, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, my good friend Bruce, I remember years ago, way back when we were in college at one of our prayer meetings one night, he had been reading and looking at this verse and he shared it and it just, it has stuck with me ever since that it's, it's one of those verses I grew up in, I, you know, in all the Bible studies and everything I grew up with, it wasn't a verse that had ever stood out to me. I had not noticed it. But it says in verse 1, and again, this is similar to the idea of sonship, that right now we're, we're not always evidently son, but verse 1, 1 John 3, verse 1, see what unique sort of love the Father has given to us. Our Bibles just say, see what love the Father has given to us, but there's, a, there's an adjective in there that's saying, or adverb that's saying, what sort of love? It's unique sort. It's, an, it's a sort that sticks out, because they're like, wow, look at that love. We're going to see a statement about that in a little while. See what sort of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. I mean, right there you go. I can, can you believe that God calls us his children? And not only are we called his children, but then he says at the end, and we are. That is, we're not just called his children. We are his children. Therefore, the world does not experientially know us because it didn't know him. In other words, they look at us. When believers are really living out that Christ-likeness, the world looks at us and goes, I don't get those people. I don't get those people. They can't figure us out. And it says, Beloved, now we are God's children. Now, I'm just called again. We are God's children. And yet it's not yet plainly visible what we will be. We know that whenever he is plainly visible, we will be like him. 
because we will see him even as he is. And there we go. We are going to be like him in the realm of his human nature because that's what we're seeing. We're not seeing him at this moment. It's not his divinity. We don't become God. We don't become little gods. We are glorified in the realm of our human nature. And that's, uh, talk about something. In fact, if for Christians that, that do not appreciate looking forward to their future, they really need to look at verse 3 because it says, everyone that has this hope on himself purifies himself, even as that one is pure. I can guarantee that you are, that you are actively purifying your life. And I would say not purifying your life by trying to find junk and get rid of it out of your life. It's just that you're living a life that demonstrates purity, it demonstrates that you're not living tainted by the sin nature and whatever aspects of the sin nature you're struggling with, uh, whatever they might be. You're not doing that while at the same time looking forward to eagerly anticipating the Lord's return for us. It doesn't happen at the same time. You're not saying, oh, the Lord could be back here at any minute. Hey, I feel like picking a fight with this guy. It doesn't That's not, it's not the way it works. Uh, let's go over to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and again, um, let's go back to verse 16. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is decaying or breaking down, our inward man is being renewed every day. So even those people that physically are sick, physically are wearing away, physically are dying, somewhere within their inner man there's a renewal. I take hope in that, that even a person... I've known some believers that have developed Alzheimer's and dementia, and they reach a state where they kind of become non-communicative. And that's with us. That's a disconnect between their physical body and their ability to act here and what goes on in their spirit. But I would understand this, that being renewed within, somewhere within there, though you and I can't see it, I would take this to mean they still have an appreciation for their connection with God. I trust that's an encouragement for you if you've ever known anybody that's, that has gone or is going through that type of situation. Then he goes on to verse 17. For the present, I know it's like this, the present lightness of our affliction. And that word affliction means pressure. It's our word tribulation. It means negative pressure. But he calls, it's pressure, but it's light pressure. I always like the way he puts that. He says, it is working for us or working out for us in excessive, hyper excessive, eternal weight of glory, a weight of glory. They're actually, the things that God is taking us through are designed to be working out this reputation that God has and that he's trying to accomplish in us and bringing about in us. So again, puts in perspective that when you go through difficulties and challenges in life, to look at those and say, hmm, doesn't, doesn't say in here that they're fun and we go, hey, Gideon, this is great. We can count it all joy. But it that doesn't necessarily mean giddiness or happiness. But we keep in mind, and I think this is one of the reasons we can count it joy, is because we realize God's working out this weight of glory in us. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. 
And he's talking about what he's done with us, going back to the fact in verse 4 that he's been rich in mercy because of his love. And then we come in verse down to verse 7. That he might display in the coming ages, in the coming ages, so this is something yet future, the surpassing riches of his grace to us by means of kindness. See, I don't see grace. Grace is not a substance. I can look at things that God gives me and I'm going, well, the Bible tells me that that's from his attitude of grace, where he treats me in a manner that doesn't consider whether I deserve that or not. That's grace. But when he, he says here in the context, what he's showing to us, the way he's showing grace to us, is he's showing it by being kind to us in Christ Jesus. Now, kindness is an attitude that puts other people at ease around you. It doesn't make them awkward. It doesn't get in their face. It doesn't grab them by the collar and say, listen to me. Or doesn't just use a person's station. Think about this. This is the God of the universe. And I always think of it when I come to this verse. This is the God of the universe. And if you and I went into his presence and spent the rest of eternity with our nose plastered to the ground and never cast an eye upward, he would be deserving of that. But he's showing kindness to us. He's making us at ease or comfortable in his presence. That boggles my mind. Talk about, as he says here, the excessive riches of his grace. That's not just some grace. It's excessively rich in his grace that he gives that to us. And it's again, it's one of those things that if you appreciate that, you ought to be going, I'm excited for the Lord to come back. And I think I've, I know I've shared this with you before. Growing up, I believed the facts that Christ was coming back for us. I just didn't like to think about it because I wasn't always a good kid. I got in trouble. I mean, I wasn't in trouble all the time, but I knew I did things that weren't great. And so I always figured when I got to heaven, it wasn't going to be that great because God was going to be pretty ticked off with me wanting to know why I had started that fire there and broke that thing there and went to the river when I was, and on and on and on, and all the things that I should not have done. And uh, I come and I had learned this verse, and it just, it's one of those verses that just kind of cleared, cleared away any, anything that marred my perspective on the future. Just saying, wow, God is just so abundantly gracious that he's going to be kind to us in this way. Now, let's go to John 17. And let's look at what Jesus says about this. John chapter 17. This is, this is the Lord's Prayer, because this is the prayer that the Lord actually prays. Uh, he's praying this to the Father on our behalf. In John 17, and look at me. Um, let's go to verse 20. Now, he, he's got 11 disciples. Remember, Judas has left. There's 11 disciples and that are that are with him uh, in this room. They haven't left to go out to the garden yet. They're going to do that after this prayer. But he says, I am not asking concerning these only. In other words, not just these 11 guys, but also concerning those that are believing through their word. That's us. That's us. We, we heard the message of the gospel that these guys preached. And they believed and we believed in him. Uh, and so what he asks is, in order that they all might be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one 
in us. This, he, this is talking about the body of Christ. He's not asking, I want a functional unity. The church has had some functional unity right at the very beginning, sort of, as far as we know. But you go back to the book of Acts and they have some functional unity and it doesn't take very long. And all of a sudden you get people going, hey, wait a second. You're giving preferential treatment to the widows that are that are full-blooded Jewish. And those of us that are Greeks, you know, that people, Jews that had kind of adopted Greek lifestyle and stuff, we're, our widows are getting cheated. They're not getting their fair share at the tables. And you started having this, this problem. It starts very early on. They start complaining. And you've got odds and ends. And you go through the book of Acts and you see that there are some conflicts at times between believers in the church. So if he's talking about a functional unity, the only time the church has had a functional unity is for a br very brief window sometime within the first year of the church. Think about that. That's it. That means for the rest of the church's 2,000 and some years that it's been here, or about 2,000 years that it's been here, the church really has been divided. I mean, they're even divided in Acts 15 over Paul's message, and they're divided in Acts 21 when Paul goes to, to Jerusalem, and they're going, Paul, they hear this about you, and we're worried. So all of that to say, he's talking about that they might be one in us. This is, this is a, now, is there a functional unity that can happen on a limited basis? Yeah. When you're relating to who you are in Christ and in the Father, and I'm relating to who I am in Christ and the Father, that brings us together, and yes, there's a functional unity that we can experience. But he's talking in this context about the actual union that, ha that happens where he sees us all as one. And the purpose of this then is in us, in order that the world might believe that you sent me. And you're going, well, well, wait a second, that the world might believe? Yeah, this is, this is going to lead right to where we're going. And the glory which you have given to me... I have given to them that they might be one even as we are one. Now, here's a place where there's the potential. He doesn't, he's not asking here for the oneness. He says, but there's a potential for practical oneness. That glory, I believe, that the Father gave him was that the Father gave the Son, back in, this is back in John 5, gave the Father to, or gave the Son to have eternal life in his human nature. And without developing that as a separate study, Old Testament believers didn't have eternal life. They were promised that they would get eternal life when they were resurrected, but they lived without eternal life. We get eternal life the very moment that we believe. And the Son was the first human being to actually have and manifest and use eternal life. If you have a question on it, you can go back to Mark 10 and verse 30, I believe it is, where Jesus says, in the coming age, you get eternal life. You're not gonna, don't get it now. He says it was in the coming age he was talking about. And so he's given us this so that because we have eternal life, we actually, if we live that out, we put on a potential level can have this, this oneness. He's, and so there's a practical oneness, but he's not asking the Father for that. He's just saying, I've given them the ability to have this on a certain level. And then he goes on in verse 23, I in them, see that's eternal life, that's that glory, and you in me, this is, right, <laughs> this is like right out of, of um, uh, John 14, 20 in order that they might be matured into one thing. So this is a maturing. This is something he's looking forward to, that we might become perfected or matured into the one thing. 
uh, in order that the world may know that you sent me and loved them just as you loved me. Do you remember what John says over there in 1 John 3, 1? Look what unique sort of love the Father has for us. He calls us his children. You know what he just said here? The Son. This is Jesus Christ says, you loved them just like you loved me. What? The Father loved me like he loved the Son? This is crazy. But he says it's this oneness. Now the church has lived, as we already said, with, with this division in, in, uh, through most of its history. And at times we that division uh, wanes a little bit and you get a few you get a few more believers that are together, but you still got believers that are on the outside and I'm not having anything to do with that and so on and so forth. He's looking here in these verses at a time in which we are going to be displayed before the world, in which the sun's going to be displayed before the world, and they are going the world is going to see us not bickering, not fighting, but unified in a way that we have never been unified yet. And they are going to be amazed to see us with him unified as the objects of the Father's love. And as we saw, I believe, last week over in Revelation 3, also the objects of his love. And the first time the world gets to see that is in the second coming when we return with him and the world is liberated, liberated from its corruption. So when we're talking about this, let's go back over there to 2 Thessalonians. We'll go back over there to 2 Thessalonians and verse 10. It says, when he comes to be glorified by his saints, see, He's glorified. Why? He's glorified because his reputation is demonstrated by what he's done with us. He finishes us and he says, I want the world to see them. Because that says something about the Son as well as something about the Father. And the, the Son and the Father are glorified. But in the context, we're glorified by the saints. He gets glory by what he's accomplished in us. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? What he accomplishes us. Again, that's that's this is a good encouragement that if there is even one believer that doesn't make it, or one believer that shows up and they are a mess in heaven, that one believer would be contrary to this unity that Jesus was asking for over there in John 17. That unity which the world only sees. At that moment in time, they get to see glimpses of it, hopefully, when we're living the way that we're supposed to live. Um, I don't want to I don't want to digress on this too much. It to me, it's interesting. To my knowledge, our church has not over the years. I, for, I think most of you probably know this back close to the time that Josh and Jennifer got married. They were living in Ephrata. They were driving down. And they were coming down and they were staying with Peg and I and with Gary and Leslie on Sunday afternoons between the morning, morning services and the evening services. And uh, we kind of thought, you know, maybe we should talk to the church and maybe instead of having a Sunday night church, maybe we should eat lunch and have a Sunday afternoon service. And it would be easier for them, 
Well, one of the benefits of that was we had other people that drove in and they were like, well, we're going to stick around and eat lunch and stick around. And they never came back for Sunday for Sunday evenings, but they stuck around for Sunday afternoons. And we ended up having this. And we were in advertising. We're going, I'm not going downtown and saying, hey, we meet for Sunday afternoon church and we have lunch together. Hey, did you know this? It's really cool. We were, we were doing that. But there were several times that I'd go downtown. And I remember the one of them that stood out with me the most was I was down at the hardware store uh, picking up some parts one day. And I'm in there and uh, Heidi down there, she and, and Larry were behind the counter. And Heidi says, she goes, you guys meet for lunch every Sunday. I was like, what? I said, what? what? What are you talking about? She goes, at your church. You guys stay and have lunch every Sunday together. And I was like, yeah. I said, how'd you know that? She goes, oh, I heard somebody talking about that the other day. Well, someone from our church? No, no. She said somebody else was just talking about that you guys do that. She was like, that's pretty cool. And I still remember Larry standing there going, yeah, that's that's really interesting. <laughs> and uh, and then it, it gave me an opportunity to try to share the gospel. I got in there and tried to start sharing. And then I, with Heidi, I ended up getting to talk a little bit longer. Larry got interrupted because somebody needed help. Uh, I, God has provided that opportunity since. Anyway, I just say that See, on a small scale, and I'm not saying that we are perfect by this in any way. Please don't ever get me saying that. I think I'm saying that. But see, on a small scale, that's just one little way that I think God manifests some of that potentially through us. There's a lot of other ways that God does that through believers. In other places where you watch other believers, not always us, other believers, and you're going, that's pretty cool. That's You, you get to see that, and you really appreciate that. And here, this was a situation in which... Um, this was a situation in which that was manifested on a small scale. But it's not, and I want you to be clear, that's not the big thing that Jesus was asking for. Jesus says, I give them my glory so that they have the potential for some of this now. But the big glory, the real question he wanted to ask so that the world would know, that's future. That is yet future. That's going to be after the rapture, not just after the rapture, but at the second coming when Christ comes back. And so he says, he's going to come back to be glorified by his saints and then to be marveled at by all those who are believing. See, so when he comes back at the end of this, it's not just us that have believed. There are going to be other people living on the earth at that time. After uh, Daniel's 70th week, at the end of that, there are going to be people that are going to believe, have believed. In fact, the end of Revelation 7, it says that there is a company innumerable, you can't count them, that come out of the great tribulation that have, it doesn't say they believe, but it says that they've washed their robes, they've made them white. They, in other words, they were some people that actually believed the message of the 144,000 Jews. They haven't believed our message. However, in this context, he's saying he's to be marveled at by all those that have believed. Now, he's going to use an illustration here. He's going to point something to us, and I, and I want to bring this together before we end tonight. Because, and this is part of the reason that this happens out there in the future, because our testimony was believed. Now, if you just stop there, we'd go, yeah, our testimony is believed. But he then goes on and he adds, makes this little expression. Uh, and almost all of your Bibles are going to say, and I want to look over here in my English, find verse 10, uh, all who have believed because our testimony to you. This is, this is the way I noticed our, the English Bibles translate this. 
to you, to you, to you. The problem with that is, is there are good prepositions that say to you or to. And that's not the preposition he uses here. He uses the preposition epi. And I always think way back when I first took Greek and I oh, taught this every time I've gone through teaching Greek is epi upon, epi upon, epi upon, to, to be on or to rest on. And he says here, for our testimony was believed upon you. Now, what in the world does that mean? Our testimony was believed upon you. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. When he first was writing to these people. I want to go back to verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3. Paul says, this is, he says, when I'm praying, he says, I'm remembering now your work from faith, your labor from love, and your patience from hope concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe all three of those are, are related. The work is from faith because you believe God's promise that he has something for you to do. He sets it before you and you go, this is one of these works God gave me to do and I'm going to do this work. But sometimes that work becomes something that requires you to really invest yourself. You get exhausted. And so love is what takes that work of faith and pushes you to exhaust yourself if necessary. And we all know what that's like to take, you start off with a work and pretty soon it, you're really invested in this and you really exhaust yourself. And sometimes while you're doing that, it becomes hard. You face challenges along the way and that requires patience. So all three of those are together. Paul says, I remember that about you people over there. I remember that about you. And so, go down to verse 5 as he's talking about this here. And uh, verse 5, Because our gospel was not caused to be come to you in word only, but also by power and by the Holy Spirit and much assurance. In other words, the Holy Spirit did a work in these people and it really powerfully made an impact even as you know what sort of people we were caused to become among you because of you. And you, here it is, became imitators of, you were, literally, you were caused to become imitators. I keep emphasizing these because if you remember back early on when we were going through 1 Thessalonians, uh, well over a year ago, I was pointing, these are, all these are passive verbs and our English Bibles translate them actives and they're not, they're passive because the whole point is, this is God's work in you people, and the Thessalonians got that. Christians today, we don't get that all the time, because we all think it's about what we do. But a lot of times, yeah, it's maybe something we're doing, but ultimately God has to get it done through you. So you were caused or made to become imitators of us and of the Lord, receiving the word in much adversity. Now, you weren't caused to receive it. You did receive it with joy from the Holy Spirit, so that you were made to become example or a type to all those believing in Macedonia and in Achaia, for from you echoed out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith towards God, it has gone out so that we don't have a need to say anything. Now, they still have to share the gospel, but People have already heard about what God did with these Thessalonians. Paul says, we got we went out of there. And all through that, 
Macedonia is the region where Philippi was in Thessalonica. Achaia is to the south. It's down where Corinth is, where Paul heads, eventually gets down to Corinth after these events. And Paul is saying here, the work of God in you had such a testimony. That testimony that we had, it was believed. That testimony was upon you. It rested. It rests on God, but it was the testimony of God's work. That's why those passive verbs are so important there. God's work in their life was so impressive that it rang out that Paul says, when we get out there, these people have already heard that something great's been going on. Wouldn't that be great if that was true of us? That when we go around Royal City and we share the gospel, we're like, wow, we have heard how God has worked in your lives. We have, we have watched how you have served and cared and loved for one another. Wow. And going back to that issue about the dinner together, that ended up being part of the question. I, I it, See, it kind of pops into my mind that somebody was like, that they were like, that's really unusual to see that kind of love where people really want to be together and people, and you're like, well, it's not natural. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. You know, that's what it comes down to. Um, people like to get together for social events, you know, fun things like that. Let's have a carnival, you know. Remember going down to Peggy's sister's church down there, and we have to be down there in carnival season when I'm telling you about every fourth church was having their fall carnival with bouncy houses outside. And we even went past one house and they had Star Wars stormtroopers and Jedi out front in front of the church trying to in attract people to come into their church with fun stuff. And the Thessalonians, it wasn't fun. They were going, it's what we've been looking at in, the, in both letters. This church was under, these churches were undergoing persecution. That wasn't fun. People weren't attracted to them for fun. They were attracted to them because they saw people showing really lo real love to one another, not to them out there. They weren't loving the communities. They were loving one another. And it, and it echoed out, that work of love that they were doing echoed out. So this is what Paul is talking about. Um, there's other statements to this effect in the Thessalonian letter, but if we go back to 2 Thessalonians 1.10, 2 Thessalonians 1.10, he says, um, because our testimony, our testimony was believed upon you. You were a basis of what God was showing, what God was demonstrating. His work in you confirmed, said something about this testimony that we gave concerning who Jesus Christ is. Now, he doesn't say in that day that that's when it happened. In that day is when he's going to be glorified. In that day is when he's going to be marveled at by those who have believed, but they believed in this context in that present time. At that time, the Thessalonians were, were alive. I trust that's true for us. It should be a challenge for us to stop and think about, do I relate to who I am in the body of Christ in such a way that I am really concerned about being engaged with believers? In encouraging believers and helping believers and ministering in the body of Christ in such a way that the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ then is upon us and it's a foundation then for that testimony going out and being believed by others because of what God said with it. And see, that's that's the whole point. These Thessalonians are going, man, this is this this persecution, this suffering we're going through is really hard. And Paul's encouraging them, guess what? You know, you've got this great future in the in this great future coming. You're gonna be 
you're going to be there in the presence of God and you're going to get to see Christ glorified in a way that you guys can't right now. And you're going to be, you're going to marvel at him. He's going to be marveled at by, by all. But it is going to be marveled at by those who have believed. And this isn't true for everybody, but there were a lot of people for these people to stop and think, you know, that suffering you're going through and all those hardship, all of that is a testimony, is, is a testimony or a foundation for the, for the significance of that testimony concerning Jesus Christ to go out. Because people are going to stand there and they're watching these Thessalonians and they go, why don't these people just give up? I mean, why do these people continue to assemble? Why do these people continue to get together? Don't they see it's a losing game? What are they earning? What are they getting out of this? And they're going to see these believers. They're going to see these believers that are uh, living out this character. They're going to see these believers that are manifesting this life. And I, like I said, I hope that that's true of us. I hope that the world looks at us as believers. And I'm not talking about just believers in, I'm in our church. Again, I'm talking about believers wherever you might be, in whatever churches you're a part of, that they see the way you're functioning together with other believers, and including believers that aren't part of your church directly. They're part of the church. <laughs> We're all together. And in living that out, that that's a foundation for God's glory. And that's a foundation for people to say, I want to hear about this God. I want to hear about this Jesus Christ because I, there's got to be a reason that these people are crazy enough to deal with the stuff they're dealing with and dealing with it in the way they're dealing with it. And uh, I bet every one of us, if we opened it up here, I bet every one of us could share stories in which we have, and it, may, it may not be us, but it may be, it may be even other people we know, uh, people that have been reached by the kind of love that believers demonstrated to one another. And even in the midst of hostility and suffering as these people did. Uh, anyway, I, I hope that's a challenge. I just... Um, Last time when I went through this, I didn't catch that, but I was, as I keep reading, this is one of the reasons I keep telling you on Sundays, keep reading through the Bible. As I kept reading that, I kept getting stuck on that preposition going, this is really interesting. And working through that preposition, trying to find an excuse to translate it to, but it's not a to. It's a, it's a trans, it's an idea that it rests on us. So hopefully two things to encourage you with, be looking forward to this great future in which we're going to get to share in the kind of glory that Christ has. <sighs> Boggles my mind that he's going to share that with us. And second of all, that while we're doing that, we have the opportunity to be a foundation or a basis for that hope, or excuse me, that testimony of Christ's work that people can look at us and see, yeah, Somebody has to. Somebody has to account for where they are. Um, two encouragements. Don't go out and do it. Your, don't go out and do those things in your flesh. Do those things. Going. This is something he's going to go. Go back there and read First Thessalonians chapter one and pay attention. Hopefully, when we went through this, uh, whenever we did, I can't remember how long ago that was. Well over a year ago when we went through First Thessalonians one. Hopefully, you marked in your Bible those passive verbs, and hopefully they made an impression on you, the significance of those passive verbs over there. God's work, God's work, God's work, God's work. Uh, and then the balance, the, the, the ones that are about us. Anyway, okay. 
Um, so, you're all muted. Does anybody have a comment or a question they would like to ask or make, comment, make? Because this has really been, I felt like this has really been a lecture tonight. That's one of the reasons I really don't like having to do it this way. But This is your mother, and I did like it that way. I really did. You liked what? Well, the way you said it was like a lecture. I oh. I took I have some really good notes here. I I don't know, it just it was good. Yeah. Because then you don't get interrupted by the thoughts that are being Oh. You know, the things that you're saying, it's it's you know, okay. you're you're going from one thing to the other and it yeah, it stays together. Okay. Sometimes I think we get off the subject maybe a little bit too much. But. I do, but I, 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 I sometimes think when we, when people have questions and they bring those up, sometimes I find people don't get past that question they have. Yeah. And so, well, they don't, so, so they don't get to the balance of that. That used to happen to me when I was in seminary. In fact, I had a seminary professor that used to say, if you got a question, stop and ask that. He says, because you probably will get stuck. And I know what that's like sitting there going, looking at that verse again and again that we've just gone over, trying to figure out this thing. And then he'd look up and he'd go, you got a question, don't you? <laughs> he didn't always do that. But uh, I remember a couple of times that he'd do that. And he'd say, don't, don't hesitate to ask a question. So well, thank you for tonight. Anybody else have a comment or a question of any sort? You've all been such quiet students. That's because you're all muted. Okay. If not, then. One of the ways that as believers we get to demonstrate love to one another is by sharing in others' burdens. And one way that we share in their burdens is praying for them. And as I always say, we pray tonight, but I hope you pray for them at other times. In fact, I was just was at a pastor's uh, prayer meeting on Monday up in Moses Lake. And uh, I was talking with a pastor that he's uh, he's 69, so he's got 12 years on me, and um, he's thinking he was thinking of retiring, uh, but he says all of a sudden here at the at, you know just within the last year he says God's given him some opportunities and he's thinking I don't know he says maybe maybe I shouldn't retire maybe. God's trying to encourage me to just keep going. And I told him, I said, you know what? And I always tell pastors this, God doesn't retire spiritual gifts. If you're still breathing the air, God's still got something for you to be doing. You may not do it maybe quite as actively, maybe as a, as a other pastor, but uh, I just encourage him. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. His name's Alan. So you guys can pray for Alan, that he knows uh, Alan and Pendleton. Uh, that he knows what God wants him to do. But he's pretty excited. He's actually really excited. He's, he's, he's got this question in his mind, but he's excited about the opportunities and watching what God's doing. And one of the things he enjoys is he says he enjoys praying with the people. Um, and uh, in addition to the other teaching the Bible and such like that. So, so things to be praying for. Um, uh, I called uh, Ben earlier. I've been meaning to call him all day long. And he said that Lindsay was feeling, was improving, feeling better today, though they were a little concerned maybe that, that Kale wasn't feeling so hot today. 
Uh, so you continue to pray for the Orths and uh, uh, potentially other people that may be affected or have been affected or whatever it is um, with regard to that. Um, and my wife was saying this when we were sitting uh, eating, well, I was eating supper. She de she decided not to eat supper tonight. Um, but she made the, co the comment, she goes, uh, I'm not going to put my life on hold. There's things there's things that God has for us to do. And she didn't put in exactly those words, but that was the gist of it. And uh, and I agree. Yeah, we can't we can't put our life on hold, but there are things that we can do out of courtesy to others. And I appreciate the Orths letting us know. So continue to pray for them. Let's be thankful for the Butlers and continue to pray for them that they steer clear of this so that they can make their flight out on the 20th. And continue to pray for them. That's it. I've just—it's just been to me amazingly encouraging watching God take care of things every step of the way. In fact, God used that with me. My wife knows this. Sunday evening, I came home. There was something that had happened, and as a result, I was kind of like, oh, and I was, I was wrenching my hands figuratively, uh, worrying about a situation. Uh, and not knowing exactly how to respond. And then it's just like God just was reminding me, look at how I'm taking care of the butlers. And the butlers had just said that. God just kept taking care of these details, this and this and this. And I was like, I know that, I know that. And then the next day, the next day I go to this pastor's prayer meeting and they start off by reading Psalm 106. And in Psalm 106, it starts off by saying that Israel had seen these things that God did, but they were, and I just worked on this passage for, for Sunday morning, that these people, after seeing what God had done, they hurried, literally in the, the Greek or the Hebrew is, they hurried to forget. <laughs> wow, that doesn't make sense to us. But they quickly, we would say they quickly forgot. It's not the only time that that idea, though not those exact words, is repeated a couple of times. And I'm thinking, boy, that is me. I can, all the times that God's done that. So I've been very encouraged. I hope you've been encouraged. Continue to pray for Josh and Faye uh, and all the way that God has been supplying for them and continue to remember them in that, in that regard, their health and all the details. Can you remember Dan Argo? He went up from surgery on his rotator cuff. Uh, continue to remember... Uh, Angie's brother, Martin, uh, and uh, those needs. We continue to remember Pat Taylor and uh, and uh, Paul and... Uh, Joanne. <coughs> pardon me? Joanne. Oh, Paul and Joanne. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, Paul and Joanne as they uh, take her back and forth. Um, and um, continue to... Uh, thankful for Randy Crothers. He's out of the hospital, came home. It was so exciting to see him uh, with his daughter the other day and at home. That was a really exciting thing to see. We've been praying for that. Okay. Um, so my Gomez's. wife... What? Gomez's. The Gomez's, yes. Um, yeah, there was a... There was a video that they... Uh, that, that he emailed to Josh and we got to see that the other night. Uh, his thanks for some provision that uh, some of the different men uh, uh, to help them out. But can you pray for them for direction? Uh, they really want to go back to, and I can't, it's really fun. You have somebody that knows how to speak Spanish, like like uh, Omar, you go and you listen to him and you're like, Durango. And I can't say, I see, I can't even say it like he does. It's just like, I thought that was really fun listening. But that they, they want to go back to Durango. They want to carry on that ministry. That, that event, um, yeah, probably unnerved him a little bit, but 
they don't want to let that deter them. So really continue to, to pray for them in that regard. Um, thank you for reminding me of that one. Sharon Freeman yes. is getting over influenza B and COVID. Um, she texted a while ago that uh, she's feeling better, just really tired a lot. And I, it just because God keeps bringing him to mind, I know you guys don't know him, but our the my roommate from college and our friends Terry Berthel, if you can remember Terry and his family, I just, I, it's having a lot. For those of you that don't remember, he's his wife passed away uh, a week ago Monday, and so continue to pray for Terry. That's uh, that transition in that same regard, even though it's been a while. Don't forget, uh, don't stop praying for the Dorsing family. That. It's real easy for us that that kind of thing slides away and we forget that, you know, for them, that's still probably pretty, it's going to be tender for quite some time. So continue to pray for them in that regard and pray for other believers, you know, pray for the other believers in town and the other churches and, uh, and the uh, Brown family. And the Brown family. Thank you. Yeah. For Janet and, and uh, her family. Okay. So. Um, I'm just going to ask, is there anybody, everybody else can stay muted when we do this, but is there anybody on here that would say, Hey, I would like to pray for some of those. We'll let, we'll have you unmute yourself and uh, you'll pray and the rest of us will listen. We can have a couple of you if you want, just like we do. We can, we can all pray together over the computer. Yeah, the Orth family will. All right, good. And this Thank isn't you. being videotaped, so. Oh, you know what? I haven't I haven't silenced this. I will edit that I will edit that out.